Well, good morning. Hope you're doing well this morning. If you've got a Bible this morning, uh, let's look at Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 and following. Matthew 13, 24 and following. Uh, if you're new to Fellowship Church, we're so glad you're with us this morning. Uh, my name is Greg Pinkner. I am the teaching pastor here. And uh, we're in uh, Matthew 13. We're studying uh, through Jesus's teachings. Uh, really, when you hit chapter 12, Jesus shifts uh, he's been doing miracles. He's going to continue doing miracles, but they're not the focus going forward. Very much Jesus's teachings have become the focus going forward. Now, last week, uh, we looked at the parable of the sower, one of the most famous parables uh, in the Bible. You've probably heard it before. Jesus throws the seed in the good soil, the bad soil, the rocky soil, the, all these kind of things. Well, Jesus teaches a parable right after that called the parable of the weeds, um, and it is an incredibly important parable uh, for people who are going to be in the church, uh, a kingdom people to know this parable. Uh, it is very, very important that we know it so we understand our times. So uh, in Matthew 13, 24, he starts like this. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. Now in the parable of the sower, it is the soil's condition that is the genesis or the gestation of the outcome, right? So in the parable of the sower, it's all good seed. It's up to the soil whether or not it is going to accept it. It's very much a parable about our hearts, about who we are. Are we one that's going to prepare our hearts for Jesus to continually seek to have him come into and with us? Are we choked by the cares of the world? Are we um, engaging in things that won't allow the gospel to grow among us, uh, inside of us? Those type of questions are the parable of the sower. The parable of the weeds is a very different story. In the parable of the weeds, he begins to detail the action of an enemy. Now, who's the enemy? Uh, you can guess, it's Satan. Uh, Jesus is gonna explain this parable later. The first thing we wanna do is recognize that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven here. So this is his focus. It's a mistake sometimes to make this all about the church and not about the whole of the kingdom. Uh, you can talk about the church uh, in this parable, and I'm going to, but the bigger focus is not just the church, it's the kingdom, right? Um, those things are not exclusive to each other. So everything about the church is the kingdom, but everything about the kingdom is not the church. Does that make sense? Like, uh, there's no part of Knoxville that's not Tennessee, but Tennessee is more than Knoxville, Okay, so it's that idea. The kingdom has a much broader focus. And that's Jesus telling this story. But it applies to the church because the church is part of the kingdom, if that makes sense. So when we do this, you have to understand Jesus's words here are picked for importance. Now, he's going to explain the parable later, but to a much smaller crowd. To the crowd, he says an enemy has done this. The word enemy here 
uh, in Greek is literally the word for a hateful did it. A hateful came and threw in weeds with the wheat. Um, when you understand what Jesus's, what Jesus's beliefs are about the action of the enemy among his people, he describes it as hateful. Uh, a hateful, a hostile man. The word here is used for hateful, it's used for hostile. He puts it here as an enemy, but we need to understand the reasoning behind it. This is not uh, totally an act of cunning. This is an act of pure hatred that he sows weeds among the wheat and he goes away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Now, they don't know about the weeds until the weeds show up. The specific word that the Greek uses here for weed is a plant that's called darnel. Uh, darnel looks exactly like wheat as it's growing. There's no way to distinguish it until it's grown up to quite a bit, and then you realize, oh, there's weeds among the wheat. You couldn't tell immediately. You couldn't go out in the field and see the seeds and go, oh, some, this is the wrong seed. You would not realize it until the weeds had grown up with the wheat. Uh, darnel was actually called at the time poison wheat because darnel is poisonous to people where wheat is kind of the backbone of you know, human ecology and, and, and all sorts of ancient cultures, food sources, darnel was called poison wheat. If you eat the wheat of darnel, uh, it will make you very sick and very high. Uh, the ancient cultures used it as a form of, um, of uh, getting high, basically. I'm trying to think of a good word for it. That's not one. They literally called it drunk wheat which is also the name of my band. So that's fantastic <laughs> because I thought, how can I work in that our single's dropping this week? Uh, drunk wheat, right? Poison wheat, that's the name of it. It looks exactly like the wheat, but you don't know it until it's grown up among us. It would not take a lot to talk about the church and to talk about the activity of the enemy among the church. That there are people who attend church their whole lives who are not wheat. They are drunk wheat, which is what we're going to be doing from now. We're gonna go through the room and point at people and you're either gonna yell drunk wheat or wheat. <laughs> it's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be fantastic. Now we know the damage that people see when they believe they're looking at a church or an organization, they expect to see wheat, but they meet weeds. Jesus, once again, is using the language of a dichotomy. There is no gray here. There is no, well, he was wheat, but like bad wheat. It was wheat or weeds. Something that looks exactly like the good thing that it is supposed to be, but is actually poison in disguise, right? Jesus does this kind of story a lot. The wolf in sheep's clothing, right? Uh, the angel of light. Uh, Satan comes not as a monstrous demon, but as an angel of light. This is one of the Bible's central metaphors. 
It's an understanding that among the people of God, there will always be these people who claim to be the real thing, but aren't. So the first thing, uh, when they've recognized the weeds, the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? That's the first question a Christian asks about the world. If God is good and loving and kind, why is the world the way it is? And that's certainly a topic we'll talk about later when we talk about the kingdom in the whole world. But let's center our focus on the church right here. I cannot tell you the number of times I've talked to people that said, hey, I went to a church and I was very wounded and I was done very wrong and that church absolutely wrecked me and I don't know if I believe in church anymore. And I bet every single one of you knows somebody who has that story. But as a pastor, I will tell you that some of the times I hear that story, we find out the other church was not the problem. It was the person who was coming to tell us that they were the ones who were hurt. And then they'll be great in your church for a couple years, couple months, couple of decades, and then all of a sudden, you'll hurt them too and they'll go somewhere else. And behind them, they have a long string of churches that have abused and misused them. You see, we should be very tender toward people who have been hurt by a church or by us or by anything, but we should also be wise because sometimes the weeds get taken out. Sometimes the weeds get taken out and they're going to act like the wronged party. Now, I'm not saying that churches haven't hurt people. Of course they have. I don't know if you know the gospel, but it says everyone's a sinner if you want to go to a church without sinners in it, there's one way to do that. We fill the baptistry up and hold you down. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to be in a church filled with sinners. I was on a mission trip one time with my youth group. That should terrify you. I was a youth minister in Texas. This was back when we could hit kids, so it was fine. <laughs> Notice how the culture's gone all wrong since anybody in public could hit a kid. I know you're going, this is a terrible metaphor. No, I'm onto something here. I'm doing research right now. No, uh, my youth group, uh, we went on a mission trip one time and we were uh, in another city. And so where we were working, we were gonna go to one church one week, another church the other week. We went to a Hispanic church uh, in Texas and then we went to a black church. And so we went to this African-American church and they had brought in, the, several of the people in this church worked at the same company and they had brought their supervisor in with him. And he got up and they said, we wanna hear a testimony from you, brother supervisor. That's what everybody called him, brother supervisor. If that was his last name, that's like the best name ever because that's also what he did. Um, and he got up and they gave him the mic and he just started going, I hate I went to a church and I hate that church and I hate those people and I have never seen such hypocrisy in my life. He went on and on and on and on and on and on and on about the hypocrisy he saw in the church. Well, the pastor of the church uh, was sitting there listening very attentively and then there was the uh, senior pastor who had retired, right? The pastor emeritus who had a seat on the platform. Uh, his, he was very old 
And right in the middle of the brother supervisor's testimony about the hypocrisy of the church, he stands up, he walks over, and he grabs the mic, and he says, brother supervisor, I'll tell you this right now. It's better to spend a lifetime in a church full of hypocrites than an eternity in hell with those same hypocrites. And brother supervisor left. I don't know what happened after that. <laughs> but I remember sitting there thinking, man, there's some truth there. We have to absolutely take for a certain understanding that people are wounded by the church. We must absolutely never forget that. Never. And I don't mean to downplay it, but we're doing the parable of the weeds. And the parable of the weeds is not about the people who are hurt by the church. They're about the agents of the enemy inside the church. The ones who will look like wheat, but are actually poison wheat. Their question's the same one as ours. God, why? How could you do this? Didn't you? You're God. Isn't the gospel good? Didn't you use good seed? God says, the master says, of course I did. Of course I used good seed. He explains it and says to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? Do you want us to go pick all the weeds, all the weeds? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them into bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Why does a good God allow evil in the world? It is one of the most fundamental questions about Christian theology. You stick around the internet long enough, you'll see all kind of memes and it'll say, if God's all good and God's all powerful, then there can't be evil atheists winning since 300 BC with some Roman dude who said it, right? The only problem is you cannot boil God down to two attributes, all powerful and all good. God has many more attributes and they're all at play in his decision-making. And one of the things that God considers best is to allow the full harvest of wheat to come in. Because if he uproots it now, the wheat can't grow to its fullness. You catch the metaphor here? It would be easy if God came in and dealt with all our issues and pulled them all up and uprooted them. But if he does that, he uproots you. He uproots you and you can't grow anymore. You won't reach the full potential, let alone will the number of people he has chosen to be his followers come into the barn. If he destroys the world in 500 AD, are you ever born? No. There's a larger plan here. But in the church itself, the Bible gives continual and constant warnings about what will happen when the enemy sows weeds among the wheat. It is consistently all through the Bible and passages people don't talk a lot about. And if they do, they make sure to make it about somebody who's not in their own congregation. 
But each one of us should check ourselves against these things. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 18 and 19. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Paul to the Corinth church that's in total disarray. This has to happen because it will show who the genuine believers are. It will show us who the genuine believers are. I can promise you this, part of the culture destroying things we're watching today are in part being used by God to show who among us is genuine. Sobering, I know, but true. Uh, there's all kinds of things like this talked about in the Bible in the end times. Now you're gonna say, wait, do you think this is the end times? The end times started when Jesus ascended. So yes, I do. If you're like, when's the end times start? Did it start on like, I don't know, November 29th, 1970? You're like, that's a very specific range. That's the day I was born. So <laughs> I can only assume that that's some sort of little antichrist. Like, okay, painter's born here. And then it's go time. They landed on the moon like a year before. Can't have that. Let's send the little antichrist, Greg Pinkner. Uh, no, the end times started when Jesus left. Yeah, we're in the end times. I know you want the end times to start so it'll be over really quick, but that's not exactly how it works. There must be factions among you so the genuine will rise. Luke 17 he said to the disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Temptations are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. If you're a young person here in the youth group, in a college group, in a young adult group, I guarantee you there are people in your groups that are saying, let's go do this. Let's go do this. Right? We don't necessarily wanna say, oh, they're not Christians, but they might not be. God calls us to holiness. Not legalism, holiness. And Jesus said, there will be some among you that will tempt you towards sin for the purpose of destroying your walk. They can't destroy your salvation. That was given by God but they can destroy your walk. They can, but woe to the one to whom the, the temptation comes. Acts 20, 29. I know that after my departure, this is Paul in Ephesus, the church he planted and labored over for years. He's leaving. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. First Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in a later time, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Second Peter 2.1 and 3 through 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly be, bring in destructive heresies, 
even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation is from long ago, is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. He continues in verse nine. But the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despising authority. This is the idea of people among the people of God who will deceive, who will destroy, who will tempt, who will have the church blasphemed because of their own work nonstop. If you think Fellowship Church is free of these type of influences, you're wrong. You're looking at one, right? In my own hypocrisy, I have no doubt hurt many people. I have no doubt hurt many people just because of who I am. I'm very introverted. Uh, people expect to walk up to me and maybe like, like uh, I hide in garbage cans when I see people coming. I do what I have to do. Uh, I don't mean to hurt people's feelings, but I have through the years a bunch. Do you see the difference between me not always being able to talk to people or in my own tiredness and selfishness, going, I'm not talking to them, versus somebody who's out to destroy. Somebody who's out to not believe the gospel. Everyone in this room has diminished the reputation of the church because you are a sinner saved by grace. You are actually a testimony to the forgiving power of grace. But there are some who hear my voice who know how to be religious but not Christian and whose hypocrisies God has not missed. Now I know you're probably thinking, well, I'm really nervous now. How do I know that's not me? Because then Jesus tells two more parables. <clears throat> And they're important to note, 31 through 33. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. You know, from other places where Jesus talks about the size of the mustard seed, he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will be saved, right? Little bitty seed that grows into, it says a tree here, but it's not exactly a tree. It's just like a huge shrub that turns into a tree or something like that. It's not useless like a Bradford pear. <laughs> it actually grows stuff, but. Um, but what are these two parables? Why does he tell these two parables right after the parable of the weeds? Because he's talking about 
the littlest thing having a massive effect, right? A little bit of leaven and hid in a whole bunch of flour and the whole, all the flour became leavened, right? It's yeast, it's a sourdough, whatever you wanna say. It's worked its way through all the dough and become uh, bread that will rise. It's a little bitty seed that becomes a huge shrub that birds can come and take shape. There are other places where Jesus talks about the birds and they're the demons. That's not this. He's talking about people coming and taking refuge uh, in uh, not only a church that believes the gospel and does so imperfectly and its power to truly change the culture around it, but also in you. The gospel can work amazing power and you it doesn't matter how perfect you are at it. The gospel's power in you is greater than your hypocrisies, right? It's greater, but it stands opposed to those who do not believe in the power of the gospel and of Jesus Christ, our God and Lord. This is the point he's trying to say. The gospel can have incredible impact but we should never assume that everyone who's in our body or in our Bible study group, uh, if you ask the pastors on staff what they spend the most time doing, it's dealing with conflict in Bible study groups. Why? A Bible study group is porcupines in a sack, <laughs> right? Somebody's gonna roll over and it's gonna be bad. And that's different than people who go into a Bible study and destroy it. We all know the differences. Um, but the gospel's power is greater and we have to believe that. These conflicts will show us who's genuine, who has the Holy Spirit contesting in them. Doesn't mean we'll ever be perfect. No one's perfect. No one on the staff is perfect. Just a little bit of yeast in us though that can transform then he left the crowds and he went into the house and his disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Now this is key. He told the parable of the weeds to the, uh, he told the parable of the weeds to a whole crowd of people, but he's gonna explain it to a little group of people. In the parable of the sower, uh, the same thing happens. They come to Jesus and they say, why are you teaching in parables? And in chapter 13, 10 and 11, he says, then the disciples said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. Uh, in other places, Jesus is much more forward. They'll say, uh, why um, do you speak in parables, Jesus? And he'll say, uh, so that seeing they will never see so that hearing, they will never hear. Uh, that comes from Isaiah 6, famous chapter in the Bible. Isaiah goes to the temple and sees the Lord high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple, right? And I looked through the lands, the Lord says, and I looked for one person who would go for us and no one will be found. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. And he said, Isaiah, I want you to go out and I want you to tell the people they are ever hearing, but never understanding. They are ever seeing, but yet they are blind. The four gospels do not have a lot of the same things in them. 
There are very few things that occur in all four gospels. The crucifixion, obviously. The resurrection, obviously. But not many more things. The feeding of the 5,000 is one. But in every single gospel, every single one of them, Jesus says these lines to why some of the Jews will follow him, but most won't. Be ever seeing, but never see. Be ever hearing, but never understand. He's explaining this to the people who will get the message. They said, why are you gonna do this? He says, well, this is why. And he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. It's him. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. If you remember, Jesus will talk about the same duality among every people. The sons of the father, the sons of the evil one. There is no gray in the Bible. Light, dark, sheep, goat, weeds, wheat. Sons of God, the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. It's not just among the church that God allows evil to, to thrive sometimes, to exist, to stand among us. It's in the very world we live in. We want to believe a prosperity light gospel where if we will believe God will take care of everything for us. I don't know how much you've read the Bible, but the people who are in the Bible, everything goes wrong for them most of the time. Uh, Jesus said, in your, in your world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Um, there will be evil until the day Jesus returns. And if we read the prophetic books of the New Testament, we see the evil will get worse and worse and worse and worse uh, until the Bible begins to say things that are, are quite amazing. He says, uh, later in this book of Matthew, there's a very long section of Jesus kind of speaking future things. And one of the things he says is, in the last days, a strong delusion will come among the people so that they will believe what is false and it would even be able to deceive the elect if that were possible. Which means that Jesus is saying, there will come among the people ideas that they cannot resist because they are not the people of God. And it's so powerful that even the people of God would fall for it if God wasn't holding them. That's a scary one. We're not seeing ideas sweep the globe. It's all in there. Why does that have to happen, God? So the genuine will be revealed. That's a hard topic. It makes us want to start pointing at them and they. Them and they are always the enemies, right? Jesus walks into a centurion's, tells the centurion, I, I can heal your kid. He heals the child of a royal official. He 
makes impacts in people's lives that would say, he would say, these are my enemies. We have no right to say from whom the Lord will call his people. That is why we are to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, the light on the hill, the leaven in the bread. Because even among the people, we would say there's no way they will ever turn to be a Jesus follower. Guess what? There was no way you were gonna turn into a Jesus follower unless he made you. You're going, well, made me? Yeah. Jesus said salvation is God grabbing a horse and dragging it. No one will come to me unless the Father draws them. They make it palatable in English. It's grabbing a horse by the nose and making it follow. Is that you? It's me. I wanna do everything but what I know is righteous. Praise God for his grace. Praise God for his calling us, for redeeming us, for sanctifying us. As we look at the world being swept away by evil ideologies, by evil men and women, remind yourselves we are here to be mercy in the world. We are here to be grace in the world, that among us there will be enemies that we must oppose, but to always do so with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control because those things are always in season with God. The son of man will send his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All causes of sin is stumbling blocks. He means people who are standing in the way of the people of God. The people, the weeds who are among the people of God and causing them not to follow to the fullness of what they could be. All lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Do you see? He who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. There will be a time of no sin or evil or pain. There will be a time of righteousness, of holiness, of the worship of God unfettered. It is not yet. And yet, it's already. Already, there are angels around the throne of God singing every day, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Already, there is a cloud of witnesses around us, our brothers and sisters who went before us, who are perfected, singing the praises of God. Eyes turned toward him. There is a not yet and an already. And we praise Jesus for it. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father in God, we thank you that in your sovereign decree, you know all things work together for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose. 
God, that does not mean that everything working for the good of us will be easy or painless or sometimes even evil. God, I pray you show us the power of your gospel once again. That if we can be saved by faith, then maybe our community can too. Maybe we can change our neighbor's behavior by our testimony of God. Maybe we can call them to you with your power and might. God, let us remind ourselves always, you are calling a people by your power for your name. They're your name in the church and in the world so that in everything you receive the glory. Jesus, it's in your name we pray, amen.